Today, on Easter Sunday, we, uh, we celebrate, as Christians, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ together. And we do that and have done that in terms of celebration for nearly 2,000 years. And this message has been shared across the nations, really at all cost. And so, last year alone, 5,621 Christians were martyred or killed for their faith. 4,542 were detained for their faith. Open Doors Ministries actually says that one in seven Christians throughout the world are persecuted for their faith. It's believed that nearly 360 million Christians live in countries today where the persecution is considered extreme. The truth is, is what is it about this seemingly crazy message of the resurrection of Jesus that causes people to give up their lives, to be persecuted, or even in a more mild form, just simply be embarrassed as they share it? Are Christians just crazy? Are they crazy people? Are we crazy? Well, this morning we're going to close out our Easter series, a a testimony of the cross, by looking at the life-altering love of Christ's resurrection. And so we're going to do that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we end our series together. So let's go ahead. We're going to stand together as we read God's Word this morning. We're going to start in verse 11. We're going to go through verse 22. And this is what it says. It says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others... But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, Be reconciled to God. For our sake, He, that is God, made Jesus sin, who knew no sin. He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin. So that in Him, that is Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Lord God, thank You for the wonderful blessing of Jesus Thank you for the wonderful work of the cross, your death and resurrection. Thank you for a love, God, that 
denied self. Thank you, Lord, for a love that sacrificed so that we might have relationship with you. Lord God, I pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts. That your word would penetrate deeply. That we would wrestle and see and embrace the truths of your word. Father, move me to the side and Father, may you bring your word forth in power. Use me, use us for your sake. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Simply put, this morning, what we're going to be looking at is that the love of Christ, demonstrated by his death and resurrection, calls us to resurrected life. The love of Christ, demonstrated by his death and resurrection, calls us to resurrected life. Love resurrected. That's what Jesus is. He was God's display of love towards us. Resurrecting Him. Overcoming the power of death. And finding life in Jesus. New life. Now, the Apostle Paul has just shared with the Corinthians that their lives, our lives, are both temporary and eternal And in the the verse preceding this passage this morning, Christ is the center of what Paul is declaring. He makes it clear how we respond to Christ in this life will determine our eternity. He says in verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And this is why in our passage this morning, Paul begins with, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So what is really the fear of the Lord that he's speaking out here? He's he's actually speaking of this judgment of God. So another way maybe that we could put this would be, therefore, knowing the severity of God's judgment... And his deliverance offered through Christ, we persuade others. Therefore, knowing the severity of God's judgment and his deliverance offered through Christ, we persuade others. So Paul is saying, listen, I'm sharing with you, I'm desiring to share with you because I have an answer that you need. It's the same answer that's proclaimed today that we proclaim this morning. That our hope, our joy, our salvation is not found in our situation or circumstances, but it is found in a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. So in verses 11 through 13, it continues, But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. 
For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Now, Paul's not persuading them towards Christ for some nefarious reason. His conscience is clear before God. It's not for personal gain. It's not for popularity, clearly. Paul says, and we've been told throughout this letter in Corinthians, that he experiences tremendous persecution, tremendous affliction. In fact, in the one city where he wasn't experiencing that, and a door was open for him, he needed to leave of there. And he went to another city where he was experiencing affliction and persecution as he shared the hope of Jesus. His hope is that they know his heart. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, God knows my heart, but I hope you know it too. That my hope is not to to condemn you, but my hope is to actually point you towards Jesus, to help you see Jesus. His hope is that they know his heart and will not reject what he says, even in the face of those who are diminishing him based upon his appearance. So people were looking at Paul. And as they were looking at Paul, part of the issue was as they looked at Paul, they were seeing this man who was not of tremendous great physical stature and appearance, and he seemed weak and frail, and they were discounting what he had to say. Here's the truth. When we don't want to hear the truth, we're really good at keeping people at a distance, are we not? When the truth is actually confronted in our life, we come up with all kinds of stuff. We keep them at bay with humor. We use tactics that we know to just basically diminish them or try to discredit them. The one thing that we do in our flesh is that we take the conviction that is placed upon our flesh, the very thing that God has given us as a blessing to recognize Him, and we push it away. We push it off. So Paul is saying, listen, know my heart in this. I want you to know here that I'm for you. I'm not against you. When I say that you need to repent and believe on Christ, when I implore you to be reconciled, it's not because I'm angry with you. It's not because I get something out of this. It's not some grand multi-level marketing scheme. It's that you're headed towards God's judgment and the destruction of that judgment. And I've got the answer found in Jesus and his deliverance. Although it may seem crazy, persuading others towards Christ isn't crazy in light of knowing God's judgment and deliverance. Why is it that followers of Christ want to share their faith? It may seem crazy. This message of Jesus dying and rising again may seem crazy. And Christians may even seem crazy to you. You may even feel crazy. The truth is, is that Paul is saying here, I'm crazy for the Lord. I'm crazy for the Lord. And so, so be it. If you see me as crazy, it's for the Lord. But know what? It's for you. 
And so when I'm in right mind, when it makes sense to you, it is for you. Penn Gillette, who is a self-proclaimed atheist and part of the Las Vegas magician duo Penn and Teller, shared the following thoughts after receiving a Bible from an audience member at one of his shows. He shared this on his podcast. These were his words. I've always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize, that is, share their faith. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there is a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? That's from an atheist. He made the comments in 2016. Part of the call, part of the reason that we share our faith is because it's motivated by a love that's greater than ours. So why does Paul persevere through the disrespect and sufferings in trying to persuade Corinthians? Why are we called to do the same? Well, in verse 14 through 15, it says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for their sake died and was raised. Christ's love compels us towards newness of life. Christ's love compels us towards newness of life. When we understand that Jesus died for my sin, and that my sin separates me from God, and my sin will actually bring the judgment of God upon me, and through the resurrection of Jesus, so Jesus takes my penalty, and then he rises from the dead on the third day, that day which we are celebrating today, defeating the power of death and giving me new life. That's the beauty of Christ's love. That's the love that Christ has displayed for you, for me. He's saying that there is new life found in Jesus. Discontentment rules our world today. We seem slave to the next trend, the next thing. We do things in our lives that make us feel shameful and dirty and unclean. We make choices that seem like life sentences. And yet, Jesus says, hey, I've died for you. I've put your sin on the cross. And I've offered you a gift, the forgiveness of your sins. And I've offered you new life. Now, it would have been easy for Paul to say, it's on them, I'm done with these guys. I don't know about you guys, but there are times in my life where I felt compelled to share my faith with somebody. And as I go to do it, I go and do it, and I get done, and I'm like, whew. Thank goodness that is done. Right? You feel vulnerable, do you not? There's a vulnerability in sharing your faith. And that vulnerability is there 
Because twofold. One, you want the person to know Jesus. But the cost is high. The cost is high. And so Paul actually stays engaged with them. Why? Why does he continue to persuade them towards the truth? Why does he persuade them towards this gospel? He persuades them in this direction because of the love that Christ had for him. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Every single person that has come to salvation through faith is in the same place, has been in the same place. It is only by the grace of God that I experience Jesus' salvation. I too am a sinner that was in need of God's grace. No sin being worse than the other. All of it leading to the judgment of God. See, when everything inside of Paul wants justice and ease, his motivation is not his own self, but rather Christ's love. We can live in a world right now that they get mad about everything, right? I mean, we, we're divided. We are as tribal as tribal gets right now, right? Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, pro-life, pro-choice, American, not American, whatever it may be, come up with it. Christianity itself even becomes very tribal. But the truth is this. The truth is that Christ's love motivates us. The reason we stay engaged is because of Christ's love. And the most important thing is the love of Jesus. And so we persuade people towards Christ. Not our political views. Those are time for those conversations. But they should never trump our persuasion of people towards Jesus. He goes on and he says that one has died for all and therefore all have died. You see, the justice of God demands our death because we are sinners. And in Christ's death, he takes our penalty and appeases God's wrath. That's why he says in 1 John 2, 2, He, that is Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. That word propitiation means to appease. He appeases God's wrath. God's justice demands a rightful response to sin. That rightful response to sin is death. That is the wrath of God poured out upon death in His judgment. That's what we face apart from Jesus. And yet, Jesus takes that on the cross, this perfect sacrifice, sinless sacrifice that's been offered for us. His blood shed. And He becomes the sacrifice, the offering that satisfies God's wrath. The best part about this is that he's offering it to us. 
Now notice the distinction, and he continues in verse 15. He says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So although he died for all, all those who put their faith in him as Lord will have new life. Only those. So he's done this, but you have to apply that gift to your life. And the way that you do that, in essence, in the same way that Jesus has substituted his life for our life, his, he's taken on our penalty, we then apply that and we say, yeah, we're going to die to self and we are going to live for Christ. We actually confess him as Lord. So our salvation is not found in the works, but it is found in our confession of Christ as Lord, believing on him for salvation. We repent of our sin and believe on Jesus. That's where salvation is found. What a beautiful thing. Isn't it wonderful to know that God has laid out a redemptive plan for us that is clear, that has already been given to us and is available for us? We have to come to him and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to trade my life for yours. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live the crucified life. I no longer live for myself, but I live for Christ who lives in me. And that life I now live through faith. So now, my life is about submission and surrender to the Lord. Not about all these rules and laws, but it's about pleasing God through my submission and surrender to Him. And the question is, is am I submitted to God? Is Jesus enough for me? Is He enough? I think a lot of times, our, our, our faith can move to a place where part of God looks attractive, that is the saving part and the avoiding of God's judgment, but nothing else does. The world looks more attractive than God does. If that's where we're at, we're discontent. And that discontentment means that we are no longer seeing His death and resurrection in the way that God desires. We've forgotten the depth of love that Jesus has for us. Romans 6, 4 adds, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There's an old saying inside the body of Christ, and you'll see signs up on churches. They'll say, come as you are. It's a wonderful statement. All are welcome. Everyone is welcome. But the statement, come as you are, should have a little ending to it that's a little bit longer. Come as you are, don't stay as you are. Because when we come to Jesus, Jesus gives us a new life. Not a life where we are seeking fulfillment in ourself or self-satisfaction or self-glory. But we now start living with the peace and joy of Christ, knowing that we have an eternity with Him. And we have the option and alternative 
to please God here, no longer to try to satisfy the flesh, which is never satisfied. It always wants more, right? Eat a good pizza. That next piece, you're always like, do I do the next one or not, right? (laughs) And clearly, there have been many times that I have not stopped when the good conscience says, stop, you've eaten enough, right? The flesh always wants more. You get something you like in the flesh, it's always like, I want more of that. I'm never satisfied. But in the new life of Christ, when we pursue Him, the satisfaction is there in Jesus. It's found in Him. And so we're trading our old life for this new life that is lived in Jesus, this resurrected life, this life that has power over death, that I'm no longer a slave to sin. Sin no longer dominates me or owns my life. But rather, Christ does. No longer do I strive to find my purpose, but I see it because God's given it. To live the resurrected life means that you died to something and that something is yourself. The resurrected life means you had to die to something and that is yourself. It's why when Jesus is asked, about following him, he says this. He says that anyone who comes after me must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Right? Boy, that gives us hope, doesn't it? It gives us hope. So newness of life comes when we die to self and live for Christ through faith. And that equals the resurrected life. To live in Christ is the resurrected life. It's living with His power. Now what is it that the resurrected life in Christ brings? Here's the good news. Here's the beauty of it. The first thing that we see is that we have a new identity in Christ. You have a new identity. No longer is it your sin that defines you. No longer is it the culture that defines you. But it is Christ who defines you. It says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. No longer do we attach primary value to the physical, our bodies, our appearance, our circumstances, but rather to the spiritual, the Holy Spirit's work and power in us. We see people in need of Christ, we pray for them. We see answers that can only be found in Christ rather than trying to find them in the world. One of the greatest things today as we talk about identities, we hear this all the time, identity politics. It's, it is like overwhelms our culture, this issue of identity. Most often the discussion around sexuality and sexual identity. Here's the problem. The Bible says that sin has corrupted us. Sin leads us away from the very things of God. But here's the thing. Sin feels natural, doesn't it? You have to think about it. Not at all. When Christ is telling us to deny ourselves, to trade our life for His... What he's saying is, of course it's going to feel natural. 
Of course your sin is going to feel natural. You have a nature that is sinful. And because it's sinful, whatever that sin is that you wrestle with, it could even be gossip, it could be slander, it could be pride, it could be immorality, it could be anything. Those sins seem so natural. I mean, we hear this terminology as it relates to men all the time, don't we? I mean, guys just look. What you mean is guys just lust. And what that really means is no, not all men do. And not all women do. But we have so accepted it as a part of our nature. But lust is part of the corrupted nature. And the reality is God says, listen, deny yourself. Deny those corruptions. Deny them. Whatever sin is present in your life, I'm calling you to deny it. And it may mean that you have to sacrifice a lot. But know that it's worth it in my kingdom. That this is a light, momentary affliction compared to eternity. He says here, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So, what we've seen is this picture that we no longer see people in view of simply the flesh, but we now see them in view of Christ. And anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. They have an identity that is in Christ. Why? Because they've been granted the Holy Spirit, His Spirit. So, through the Holy Spirit, we have power over sin in our lives Our flesh no longer defines us or rules us. Christ does. Ephesians 2, 17-21 firms this when it says, And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but listen to this. But through Jesus, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. What a beautiful thing. He's now calling you a saint. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't always feel like a saint. I know what goes on in here. But God says, positionally, through the cross, we put our faith in Him. We are now a part of Him. And we are now saints. We're saints who sin. We are no longer sinners in need of grace. And that is a wonderful perspective that we have. Our identity is as a saint When Paul addressed the Corinthians, he actually refers to them as saints. And this is one of the churches that we would say he's actually addressing multiple areas of sin in their life, and he still refers to them as saints. Boy, that's awesome. Boy, it's freeing. Not free to go sin, but freeing that when we do, that God has already paid for them. And it's been applied through his blood and granted to us through faith in Jesus. So we have a new identity. And then secondly, we have a new purpose. 
We have a new purpose. Verse 18 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Your life is about the gospel. That's what it's about. It's not finding the next new shiny gadget. It's not trying to satisfy it with outside relationships. The gospel is centered to our lives. And it's something we have to preach to ourselves each and every day. That we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Now this gospel we have to remember, is solely and completely a work of God. It's not ours. When we grab this, when we understand this, then it's even more impactful in our lives. Because we realize that God has opened our eyes to this truth so that we might have life in Him and with Him. The resurrected life, which is solely a work of God, is something we didn't deserve, something we didn't earn. It's something that was simply given. There isn't a single one of us who is worthy of God's grace. But Christ is worthy, and therefore He grants to us, making us worthy in Him. That's awesome. The judge, Jesus becomes both our sacrifice, penalty of our sin, and then He declares us innocent. Romans 4.8 says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Wow. He took away our sin. And then He goes one step further. We're entrusted with this ministry and message of reconciliation. I love that. Now, that's an important little discrepancy because he says ministry and message. That means that our lives bear testimony of the gospel along with our words. Is that satisfying to us? Is it enough to, to be submitted to God, surrendered to God and His purposes? Is Jesus enough? Because what He's done is He's actually entrusted us with this ministry and message of reconciliation. So the gospel is the heart of our purpose, but our purpose is as ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made him to be sin, that is Jesus, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Those words here are we implore, we plead, we beg, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. I don't want you to face the judgment of God. Be reconciled to him. But more than that, I want you to see the love that He has for you, that He's offered to you through Jesus. And the reason I keep sharing it with you 
is because I love you because he loved me. And I needed it just the same. And I care enough to let you know that there is an answer to our sin. Be reconciled. Believer, be reconciled to God. Are you completely submitted and surrendered to Him? Be reconciled. I want to encourage you, stop chasing after other things to find your satisfaction and pleasure and worth in. Be reconciled to Him. See that you are worthy because of the cross, that He is your fulfillment, that His purpose has all that you need in it, and that your identity is found solely in Him. For those who have yet to believe on Jesus for their salvation, I plead with you, be reconciled to God. He's offered you this wonderful gift of grace. A grace that brings new life in Him and a new identity and a new purpose. Know that you are loved by Jesus and that those who share this truth with you love you because they've been changed by it as well. Notice that this gospel isn't simply about us being given forgiveness. But there is a beauty piece that he saves the end. It is that Jesus has given us his righteousness, never to be lost. So he has granted us forgiveness, and now he has also given us his righteousness. That means that we are no longer in bondage to sin, but it also means this. It means, just as Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Everything that I did is put behind us. It's done with. And, and everything that I do now and then bring back to Christ with a, a humble and contrite heart before Him is put down. It's already been dealt with. And what a beautiful, wonderful salvation that we have. That my past sin is not a hindrance for my future and present walk with Jesus. Better yet, His righteousness in my life means that His power for righteousness is present in my life. And yes, it may mean that we struggle with sin and we battle with sin, but here's the beauty. We are not defeated by that struggle. We get up and we come back and we repent and we put it down at his feet again. But here's the beautiful thing. That's not what saved us. What saves us was our repentance and faith in Jesus. And when that occurs, when we confess him as Lord, he seals us with his Holy Spirit as the promise of his inheritance. He has given us himself as our righteousness. So today, on this Easter Sunday, I want to encourage you. I want to implore you. I want to plead with you. I want to beg with you. Be reconciled to God and live the resurrected life knowing Christ's love as it's demonstrated to you 
in this new identity and this new purpose as you surrender to your life, your life to Him in faith. Simply put, Christianity isn't crazy, but it's motivated by the selfless, reconciling love of Christ demonstrated through His death and resurrection. His resurrection brings new life with a new identity and a new purpose for all those who are reconciled to Him through faith. So today, be reconciled. Be reconciled. Be reconciled to God through faith in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for the goodness of your reconciliation. Lord, move upon our hearts this morning. Let us see the beauty of your love for us through your death and resurrection. And may our desire be to live the resurrected life, a life surrendered and submitted to you, knowing that you have redeemed us through the shedding of your blood, taking our rightful penalty, and giving us new life through your own resurrection as you defeated the power of death. May we go forward in the hope of your eternity today knowing that you have offered us this wonderful, beautiful gift, eternal life with you through faith. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.